0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Super Bowl champ and current defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders, Jack Del Rio. All right, let's do this. And now, here's Here's your host, Brett Boone. Boone.
1: Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with an All-American, a pro bowler, and a Super Bowl champion. He's currently the, the defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Del Rio. Jack, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, happy to do it, Booney. I appreciate it, man. Uh, USC going to the Big Ten. Your initial, th- your initial thought. I, I mean, shocked.
2: Shocked. Shocked. Uh, I'm not sure I like it, you know, Uh, it's, uh, it's awkward, you know, Um, you know, but I, you know, I do understand the need to generate the revenue. And I I think that, you know, they, they feel good about, you know, doing just that. And, um, but man, it's shocking. It's shocking. I mean, uh, you know, we, we played, we played the winner of the big 10 in the, in the, uh, in the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's, that's you know, the, the, the traditions are, are, are just kind of being blown up. So it's hard to take.
1: Yeah. And for me, you know, I'm kind of lame when it comes to all the college sports and, you know, my first reaction is, well, it's, it's gotta be about the money. It makes no other, um, you know, it doesn't make any other sense than that. And I'm thinking from a football standpoint, which is obviously the biggest source of revenue at, at USC and, and all the PAC 10, uh, all the PAC 10 schools or the PAC 12, uh, it's once a week. Okay. So the SC football team, we got one game a week. It's almost like a pro setup. We get on our plane and whatever, two days in advance, we go out, we scout it out, we get ready for the game. But on the other sports, you know, I'm thinking from the baseball side, obviously, but we, when I was there, it was the Pac six. So we played UCLA, we played Arizona, Arizona state, Cal and Stanford everything was just a, a quick trip away now all of a sudden you're branching out you've got like real road trips now yeah yeah real road
2: trips and yeah. you have to leave a day early and then you know coming back and you know uh yeah i mean it's it's gonna disrupt quite a bit um and i think you know all the other sports you know basketball you know baseball obviously you know that 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 series weekend that you would have and occasionally you get a rain out and you might stay over, you know, one day now, now what's going on? I mean, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously very impactful for the, for the, for all of the sports. I think we'll be untangling and discovering, you know, issues unseen issues that develop, uh, because of the change.
1: All right, Jack Del Rio. As a kid, what were you like as a kid? You're born in Castro Valley, California. Uh, I know you played all three doing my doing my due diligence, uh, getting ready for this. I, I, you're a you're a football player, baseball and basketball. What was your first love? Then I want to get to your to your pops, I heard he was a he's a big band leader. That's really interesting to uh, to me. I want to hear about that a little bit too.
2: Well, so for me. You know, I started out baseball was the first sport I played, um, uh, played, you know, every day in the summer, um, you know, out in the street every day after school. Uh, It started out baseball. It grew to baseball, then basketball, and then football was last. And and really, if you were to ask me which sport did I love the most, it was actually basketball, which which is kind of crazy, but... Um, you know, I, I, I loved it. I, I, you know, I had, I had a handle, you know, I mean, I, I could, I could, uh, I could, I, I played point guard and then I'd come down and guard the center on defense. Um, you know, whatever, whatever matchup, um, was needed, but played, played a lot of all three sports, uh, primarily baseball and basketball. And then, like I said, football was late. I didn't play tackle football until I was in the ninth grade. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, but I, but I loved it. I, I played and we played outside every day. There was not a day that went by that we weren't out in the street playing ball. So that's how I grew up.
1: Yeah, that's how it was. I mean, I grew up in Jersey and that, and that was it. It was the, uh, You know, the hockey nets in the middle of the street, when a car comes, you move it, you move it along. You play touch football on the street, uh, wiffle ball, whenever you can. It's a little bit different now. These kids growing up a little bit of a different generation, different, you know, the one sport. And uh, I don't know that it's all that good for the youth of today, but right now it is what it is. Um, Had Bill Walton on recently and and, uh, he was telling me his dad was a music teacher. And he said they're there. He had, I, I forget how many siblings he had. I think he has six siblings. And he said they they uh they had a, a family band.
2: My dad's a, a a big, strong, uh, he's still a strong man at 86. Uh, big hands on him, uh, big concert. worked with his hands. Uh, no, he wasn't playing any instruments. Any- <laughs>
1: No. That, that is hilarious that that i i got it completely wrong all right i apologize for that we'll just move on uh hey heyward high that's your high school teammate of yours don wakamatsu now i know i got that right you got uh, that right all right and you were a baseball player were you were catcher
2: yes i was a catcher so um i caught as a sophomore in high school and then uh and then so don and i were teammates so I caught on the varsity as a sophomore and then, uh, our junior year he caught and I played first base and pitched and played outfield. I played wherever they needed me. And same thing, my senior year. So I got to USC and, uh, and Don had gone to Arizona state. And so we actually played in, in the six pack, uh, against each other, two guys from the same high school, the same year. And we both were starting catchers in the pack. So it it was pretty cool. Um, uh, but, but Don, you know, he, he and I, you know, longtime friends. We played basketball together, CYO basketball together. We grew up. We started uh, football, baseball, basketball, all three sports, and all three years, sophomore, junior, senior year, and, and won the league title all nine. You know, all nine of those league titles came our way as well. So we, we had a great run together. Donnie Wakamatsu, uh, great, great buddy of mine and a uh, real good ball player.
1: What was that recruiting pro how, How'd you get to SC? Why SC? I, I know you're drafted by the, by the blue Jays in the 22nd round, your teammate, I think Wakamatsu was drafted in the 11th round. I don't know by who, but how did you get to that SC decision? Well, versus, you know, versus going pro baseball wise.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it and, you know, the idea was I was going to play baseball in college and, um, and and football and then make that decision later so I was really you know pushing it out and you know when it came down to having to make a decision which which I did need to make at some point but I, I I pushed it out and um and I chose football because of the intensity and the passion and and the fact that you know you know in baseball you you can bounce around there's some really gifted players that bounce around never do make it up so I You know, I just, I really felt like, you know, that was the right thing for me. Um, But how did I make the choice, you know, to, to, to go to USC? It was really simple. It was really simple. Every college that I visited and that was recruiting me, they all told me, you're the guy, you know, you're, you're going to start right away. And, uh, and I went down to USC on the visit and, and a guy named Marv Goo and a great, great coach and a great man. Uh, God rest his soul. But uh, Marv Gu, he wrote down like 12 names on this piece of paper. And he put me at the bottom of the list. And he said, I don't know what these other guys are telling you that as you're being recruited. He said, we'd like to have You're a good football player, but this is where you're going to start if you come here. At the bottom. And where you go from there is up to you. But you know, we're not kissing your ass. He said, in fact, he said, if you don't, if you choose not to come here, that that's fine. He said, just know that we're going to kick your ass. He said, if you want to come here and be part of something special, just know you've got to earn your way. And I was like, what? I was like, that's it. You know, I'm like, I took the challenge, you know, I mean, it was like exactly what I needed to hear. Not, not telling me how great I was, not telling me you know i'm going to plug you in right away you're the, you're going to start no promises just come in here and work like anybody else and uh and i took on that challenge
1: that's pretty cool i mean that's something that most you wouldn't hear You know, when somebody's trying to get you into it, it doesn't matter what it is, a sport, a company, a school. uh, The last thing is, hey, buddy, you're at the bottom and you got to show me, show me you got some balls and work to the top. But uh, no, that's pretty cool. And the fact that you get to go to SC and you're going to play baseball, football. um, What did that look like for you? Because I got to play with uh, Rodney Pete. He's a little bit after your time. I think when you were leaving, Rodney was coming in. But uh, I had that that experience where Rodney, you know, he's the big man on campus. I think he was a junior or senior when I was a freshman and obviously football was at the forefront for Rodney. He showed up about a week before the baseball season starts, didn't have any preseason work, anything like that. Next thing I know he was in the middle of that lineup. He was actually a really good player, but football obviously took a precedent. It was the, it was the most important thing. And uh, he wasn't able to be with us other than during that season, uh, was that similar for you with the football baseball schedule at, at SC?
2: Yeah, exactly how it was. You know, football season ended, played in the Rose Bowl, um, and then and then the next week I'd be out there at practice. You know, uh, and and then and then playing games to get right into the game. So you wouldn't have the the preseason warm up. You wouldn't have the drills and the off season. Any of that. It just went right into the year. Right into the actual season, so uh, that's what it was. So I, that's how I did it, really, all my life. Though, like you know, I I always gave myself the weekend. You know, we would play, say, the the last football game was on a Friday night. Well, I'd give myself that Saturday, Sunday, and then on Monday I would start. You know, the next season, the next sport, and and that's kind of how it was. Um, and 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 that's that's how it went my entire life. But I, you know. Other than that weekend off, that's all I ever took off. I mean, it was like rolling one season into another, and I loved it. And I, and I think, you know, what, what you get – because different sports stress you different ways, and that's one of the things like we were mentioning – you were mentioning earlier about the kids nowadays they are playing one sport and they're specializing. I, I think you get some overuse injuries. I think – I don't think you really develop athletically the way you can – when you play uh, multiple sports, I think it, you, you, your hand, eye coordination, all the different um, abilities that you develop as a young athlete. I, I just think those are, those are so important. And, um, and I, I loved it. I loved rolling from season into season and getting on with the next, one. it was awesome.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, you know, the sports transcend one another. I, I think being on the football field helps you on the baseball diamond and vice versa. I think being on the, Baseball diamond, different things you, you learn at the different sports being on a basketball court. It, it helps you in other sports, and especially when you mention the kids. You know, it's one thing when you get to the college level and, and, and you've the writings on the wall and you have, uh, you have a chance to move on to the next level. Well, then I can see that concentration, but at the, at the young level, when these kids are developing, it blows my mind that we're going to concentrate on, on, on one thing. You know, I look at these parents and, and when I retired, I would coach and I look at these parents and say, you really think your your son's going to the big leagues? Do you have any clue that he has no chance, you know, right. and they don't and they don't. They see whatever it is about today's society, the economics that, you know, they see this the money at the highest level. And it's just not realistic for, you know, 99,999% of the kids. So I, I look at these kids and I feel bad. It's almost like. I want to see these kids when they're 25 years old, look back when they're 10, 11, 12 and say, remember, remember that little league, how fun that was. Those are some of the, even for me in baseball, baseball was stressful. I mean, it was hard. It was a job. Some of my fondest memories of baseball are Little League and being in those tournaments and trying to get to the Little League World Series where where life was a little bit simpler. But but you're right. I mean, this this one sport, it's it's I don't know. I I, I just truly don't don't understand. I think we're just from a different time where where life was a little bit simpler. Like you said, where'd you play? You went out in the street and you played. That's what we did. Um, Rod Dado. Just had, uh, just had Freddie Lynn on the program. He's before your time. He was, he was more of that seventies, but I never got a chance to play for Rod, uh, around him, uh, around him quite a bit. When I first got there, he was just stepping down. Mike Gillespie was taking over. Um, and I, I loved him. I enjoyed him. He was a character. He was charismatic. He, he you give him a mic and, and he could entertain you all night. I've heard the stories through the years. You know, he still probably doesn't know who Brett Boone is. He he, he knew who Tiger was, uh, right. which he called everybody. But you got you got to play for him. Um, everything it was cracked up to be. I mean, he's legendary in, in that college arena. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, you know, huge fundamentals
2: guy, you know, lo- you know, stressed the fundamentals every day. Um, everybody was tiger and uh, you know, came out with passion every day. Uh, yeah, I was it was it was incredible and uh, I loved it. You know Rod Dado, one of the reasons that, you know, other than Marv Goo, it was Rod Dado and the chance to play for USC's baseball team. I mean it was you know the combination of John Robinson, you know Marv Goo, the challenges that uh, that were laid out with by Marv and then the opportunity to play for Rod Dato. So uh, yeah, he you know all, all of those stories are true and 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 you know you talk about Fred Lynn and um, Tom Seaver and some of the greats that came before us uh, they they were in the lineup occasionally, you know. So you had to you had to watch out because, uh, you know, Rod was getting up in his years, um, and occasionally would. <laughs> but, but you'd look up on the on the lineup, and it'd be, wait a minute. What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Seaver's pitching today. Oh, I thought he was pitching for the Mets. He it, it has, it's
2: like one of the old greats in the lineup, you know? So it's like, no, 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 we, we got to go. So old Brownie, our assistant coach, he used to have to keep an eye on that and make sure that, uh, that Rod had an official lineup that would work. But, um, uh, it, it was, it was a real honor to play for Rod and, uh, I certainly
1: appreciated him. Very cool. Um, you played with big Mac, I played against big Mac for years. Uh, it was amazing and you played with the big unit who who Randy Johnson, who was a teammate of mine. Uh, I got to play with randy in in ninety two and ninety three played against him a lot uh, but but you saw him when he was raw i i didn't I heard about him in in uh, when he was in Montreal coming up, he was wild, this and that. I saw him when he was kind of that finished, polished product. And to this day, he's probably the most – when he was on, he was probably the most dominating pitcher I've ever played behind. You know, I got to play behind an unbelievable staff when I was in Atlanta with Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. But I've never seen dominance like a Randy Johnson on his game. How was he at at that college level? Just, just raw or, or uh, I could imagine?
2: It was raw. He was raw, and it was arms and legs everywhere. You know, he's this huge guy, six ten, and he had a really big windup. And, and if you remember, you know what he was when he was refined and and, and pitching at the top of his game in, in the big leagues. You know, it was really comp compact. You know his his mechanics. You know, he really honed them in. When 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 we had when we were together at USC. I mean, he had arms and legs flying everywhere and he really could not control the ball. So, you know, when he was throwing it like he could, you know, up, up around a hundred, um, with incredible movement, explosive movement on the ball, um, he couldn't control it. So, you know, being, a, being the guy behind the plate, trying to catch it, um, it, it was a challenge. I mean, the, cause the ball would move, it had nasty movement. It would go everywhere, um, you know, he threw that natural cutter that just exploded at the plate. And then, and then, um, you know, he was a guy that because he could not control where the ball was going, you did, as a catcher, you wouldn't know if it was going to land five feet in front of the plate or, or you'd be jumping for it for it would hit the backstop. I mean, you know, it was just, it was everywhere. So, you know, he was really wild. And then he, and then, you know, at that time, he was probably our third or fourth best pitcher on the team. So, You know, he would, he would walk the bases loaded and then he'd start lobbing them in. And, and so he was not nearly as effective at that time because he couldn't control the stuff. You know, he just couldn't, couldn't throw strikes, uh, with the velocity, you know, like he was capable of when he became a, a polished professional pitcher. But what a talent. What a talent. And what a fun, what a fun personality. Now he's a guy that used to, you know, talk about Rod Dato. He he used to go in there and and get coaches, uh, uniform and stuff and stuff pillows in there and all that, and then come out and carry on in front of the fans unbeknownst to, to to coach, Uh, you know, so Randy had a lot of fun with that. (laughs) Uh,
1: On the football side, John Robinson, he recruited you. I think later in your career at SC, uh, Ted Tolner took over Uh, Mm -hmm. all PAC 10. You were his four year starter, all PAC 10, uh, your freshman, sophomore, all American, all American, your, your co MVP of the uh, the Rose Bowl, beating Ohio State your senior year, and I want to know. I, I came across a picture of you. The picture of you with Bob Hope. What's the story behind that?
2: Uh, it was it was uh, one of those uh, Bob Hope specials, you know, like a Christmas special or something. And yeah. um, he had an All American team that went out there and kind of you know kind of jogged out and introduced yourself. So so it was with Bob, on the Bob Hope show. It, how cool was that?
1: Senior year, you finish. Uh, Rose Bowl champ, getting ready for the draft. Expectations? Uh, what's going through your mind? You end up being a third-round pick for the New Orleans Saints. You're going to go play for Bum Phillips and Jim Mora. Uh, lead me up to that draft day. What, what, what's, what's it like going through that NFL draft? now? Nowadays, a uh, little bit different uh back then still NFL draft was, was kind of the North star of drafts. Baseball's trying to do it now, trying to make that red carpet. Uh, but Jack Del Real, draft day, 1985.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, nothing, nothing special at that time. I mean, I, um, you know, with the family and we just, um, you know, knew I was, knew I was going to get drafted somewhere, thought I would go higher, um, Played long, played a long time in the league and, uh, and, and bum was the guy that got me started. So I I will always appreciate that about bum. Um, yeah, I didn't, I'd like the, the the pre-draft stuff. Like I always, when the season was over, I always took a little bit of a break and, um, and like I said, got into the next sport. Well, I wasn't playing baseball anymore. So, you know, just, just got ready for the football season and, um, yeah, and, you know the Saints picked me when I when I first got drafted. I'm like, okay, down in New Orleans, all right. There, there are a lot of alligators and snakes and things. Am I going to have to wear hip boots? You know, I, I had no idea about Louisiana what it would be like. I mean, I really, I'm thinking, you know, what, where am I going? You know, what, what's it going to be like down there in the Bayou? And um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, I went down there played played a couple of years, met my wife, uh, my wife Linda. We we have been married 35 years now, so um, so that worked out pretty well getting selected by the Saints
1: same day I think you got drafted by the the Los Angeles Express or the USFL ever a consideration or that was just kind of a secondary thing back then
2: yeah that was that uh, was right toward, right toward the end of uh, of that league, and uh, never never even a, a minute's consideration really uh, to go to go play for the express.
1: Nineteen eighty-five, you you uh, you make the all rookie team. You said you played there two years. You're traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. Nineteen eighty-seven, uh, strike year, and um, it's always fascinating for me. I went through a strike uh, on the MLB side. Nineteen ninety-four, Bud Selig, unbeknownst to any of us, takes the comes to the podium and announces the world series is canceled. That's we were supposed to have a meeting with the owners. And all of a sudden we hear that kind of blindsided by it. We didn't agree to anything. Bottom line is we were on strike. I learned a lot. I was a rep for the, for the reds back then. And that's just kind of my, um, you know, what I went through and, and the experience I went through, you have a similar one on the, on the 87 strike for the NFL.
2: Well, the, the 87 strike, um, I mean, we went out and and took a stand and showed the solidarity for the most part. We had a couple of guys cross, but for the most part, showed the solidarity that was necessary to, to help improve uh, the, the, the work situation for, you know, what the players are of today are experiencing. So – and I think not only did we did we accomplish that, but you know we also were able to start setting the table for guys you know that that came before us to get to get compensated and get health insurance and get different things. So I think it was an important time. You know, um, the league has changed quite a bit since 1987, and, uh, and and I would say that you know not all of it has been uh, positive or or something that that I would agree with, but it's, it's, I think it's been overall very positive and uh, a strong movement toward, you know, fairness for the players and uh, you know, a a healthy existence, I think a healthy league. I, I, I think we've, you know, worked hard to get to that point. And I think 1987 was a pivotal, you know, moment for the, for the NFL.
1: 1989, you're claimed by the Cowboys. You go play for Jimmy Johnson for a couple of years. And then you kind of, as a free agent, you sign with the Minnesota Vikings. Dennis Green is, is your coach. Uh, and some of your best years are that years, 93, 93, 94, 95. You lead the team in tackles. You're an all pro uh, pro bowler. A um, lot of good memories from, from Minnesota.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, and and really started in Dallas in and what Jimmy Johnson and the atmosphere that he had in Dallas it was it was hard charging it it reminded me of of USC uh when I first got in the league I remember I brought that mentality that we practiced with at USC which was I mean we got after it and uh you know I practiced against you know Bruce Matthews and Don Mosbar every day uh and and we got after it and so that's what I took when I went to USC, and they were like, "Hey, whoa, hey, man, chill out, rookie. You know, like you need to slow that down. Like you're going way too hard." And so, I quickly, I quickly kind of fell into that, you know, where like I wasn't pushing myself. In practice. well, when I got to Dallas with Jimmy Johnson, he reignited that that flame, that 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 passion, uh, that competitive spirit, because he demanded it. It was like. If you're going to be playing for Jimmy, you're going to bring it every day and give us and give us everything you have, or you're not going to be here. And so it was great for my career because it reignited, you know, the competitiveness that I have inside. And so um, I'm really grateful for those years I had there at Dallas. And, and we took a team that went one and fifteen, and we went eleven and five and went and won a playoff game in Chicago. So you know, we 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 transformed that team. I left and went to Minnesota, where we had the number one defense in the league, and playing for Tony Dungy, uh, he was our defensive coordinator, and and Denny Green was the head coach. But um, we didn't, we 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 just didn't have the team that Dallas did. Dallas, those four years when I was in Minnesota, they won three of those four Super Bowls. So, you know, we, you know I was part of that. I felt I felt connected to that because I helped build it. I mean, I was. I, I was there, um, you know, grinding with with those guys, and um, we we took a team that went from one and fifteen that, that won three out of four Super Bowls, and uh, and I and I and I take, I mean, I I I feel like I'm a part of that because not not that I not that I wear those rings, but you know, because I helped build it, and um, and and then we went on and had great success in Minnesota in our own in our own way. Um, just not winning those super bowls dallas dallas was the team that was really getting it done at that time
1: after the 95 season you end up you sign with the dolphins in 96 you, you don't end up uh, playing anymore you'll you'll end up retiring you know we all get to that point in our career uh, and some of us you know are, are ready to go right from one chapter to the next from player to, to into the booth or or onto the field as a coach when you, did you know what you wanted to do when you were done uh as on the player side? I did not. So here, here's,
2: here's what happened. So, well, I thought I knew I, I was working for Merrill Lynch and um I mean, licensed past my series, the uh, 63, all, all the different, you know, uh licensing and, and tests and all the things you had to have. I was, I was up and running. So I had a book had a book of clients and in the off season, I would work that book and work to get more clients and all that, including cold calls, the whole bit. Um, and then when the season got there, I would turn it over to the office manager and then I'd go you know, play football. And so I did that for, uh, for the last three or four years of my, of my playing career, anticipating that that's what I would do when, when I retired. So um, Tony Dungy, Came out. Who was my D coordinator? Uh, he had just become the head coach of Tampa, and he was he was calling up to check on me. Hey, come on out to the strike game and, and come out to the practices and uh, and let's go to lunch. And so I went to lunch, and he said, "Hey, are you, you know, I see you're doing this, and are you happy?" And I said, "Oh yeah, everything's great." He goes, "No, really, are are you happy?" I said, "No, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm not happy." <laughs> you know, <it's> like. <laughs> He's like, I, I'm telling you, you you should coach. You would be a great coach. And so Tony, Tony Dungey, who was you know, I consider like a mentor, um, he's the one that really got me to seriously take a look at. It. And um and so I did. Uh uh, but he had no longer had anything open. You know, he was he had just become head coach and he'd filled the staff, and so there was There was no opening, so he couldn't hire me, but he did pique my interest. And then I was very fortunate that uh, Iron Mike Ditka offered me an opportunity to join his staff as an assistant strength coach. And uh, that was back in the day when they didn't have any of those. And so I was like the first, uh, at least on his staff. And and that, that paved the way. Six
1: years later, I was the head coach. No, it's awesome, and I read that, and I'm I'm just thinking, okay, and and just kind of kind of educate me if I'm off here. I'm thinking of a strength coach. I'm like, wait a minute, Jack Del Rio is playing; he's a pro bowler, and then all of a sudden he shows up and he's getting these guys in a stretch line. Now, on the in Major League Baseball, that's what it is, and I remember my strength coach. We called him Rocket. He was he was there to make sure that after the game, yeah, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, right after the game, you've got work with me. Now, I could tell him not, hey, I'm not going to go or I'm going to go. He'd get us ready. All right, we need you on the line at 415. I know the NFL side is probably a more extensive job, but but to me, I've never heard of that before. You go from being a pro bowler and now you're the strength coach. Take me through that first year before eventually you'll become the linebacker coach. And as you said, you'll, you'll go up the ladder and eventually be a head coach. But that first year, Sitting around, I would think for me, it would be weird. Two years ago, you're a player. Now, you're the guy that's got to get these guys going.
2: Yeah, it, it, it wasn't weird. It was, it was very comfortable. So, I worked for a guy named Mike Wojcik. Mike and I were together in Dallas. Remember I told you those years we were getting after it in Dallas? Right. Uh, I was being pushed by Jimmy Johnson. Well, Mike Wojcik was the strength coach for him. So Mike was hired by Mike Ditka to be the strength coach in New Orleans, and he had no assistant, but I had been in his program, so I understood all of the ways that he would push us and prod us and, and uh, how he wanted to work the room. So I was able to contribute in that way. And, and then the great part was um, – there was a staff that was willing to let me come up a defensive staff that was willing to let me come up and join them and help draw cards or whatever it took. And so I did both. So like I did my, my work in the, in the, in the weight room. And then when the weight room didn't have any players in it, I would go upstairs and, and take on assignments and and do work for the coaches uh and Walt Corey was an older coach I'd help him draw cards uh you know when it came time to doing the scout team work I would like help the guys know what to do and where to go and then we had some injuries that year and and the linebacker coach Rick Venturi was the name he said hey Jack would you would you mind getting these guys ready I've got a bunch of stuff to get done I was like no problem and so I worked with these new linebackers that we had just uh that just signed and then in the game, they actually got called on to go in. Like, we had a, more injuries, and we had they were called on to go in, and they knew what to do, and they played well. And So, you know, they took note, like, hey, like, he knows what he's doing. Like, he's getting people ready. So the following year, there was an opportunity to go from strength coach to linebacker coach, which is a huge leap. And But I had played linebacker, obviously, for a long time uh, and shown – the willingness to work as a coach, and uh, so I think the work ethic and the and the effort and all those things was was appreciated. And Coach Ditka gave me an opportunity of a lifetime to not only get my coaching career started, but to go from an assistant strength coach to a linebacker coach.
1: You move on from there. You go to the Ravens under uh, Brian Billick, where you're going to win a Super Bowl and Super Bowl Thirty Five um you're the linebacker coach there Mm -hmm. you played a lot of years on the field now you're coaching a super bowl caliber team you win the super bowl sitting on the sidelines being a coach i did it a little bit uh six or seven years ago and and nothing you know not at the highest level i was I did it at the minor league level. I really enjoyed it. I was just at a time in my life where uh, kids were in their schedules where they wanted too much time and and I needed to be there for my son, you know, playing varsity baseball. And I didn't want to miss all that. So, so I only did it for, for a couple of years, but I remember watching those kids and and working with them and man, I, I when they'd be in the box, you know, hitting it and they did something great the, the feeling I would get, and and it wasn't that that i did it but it was like wow all right we've been working on that for a long time and it was so fulfilling to me without getting any of the credit i didn't need the credit it it was just that look that 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 uh relationship you form with cl- player coach that i thought was so cool and so um it was rewarding it, it was really a, a rewarding job without the without the headlines when you won that Super Bowl, did you feel that I mean were you just as connected and so happy for those guys on the field
2: absolutely and i and i I still feel some of that some of that good feeling to this day you know and and we'll get together and and I remain close with uh with with really all of the guys that that I coached at that time uh many many are are very close and um it, it, they're, you're right. I mean, the thing—the thing you're touching on—that's that's the essence of coaching. You know, when you you spend time, you can help a guy be better, and he believes that, and he buys into the things that you're that you're showing him, and then he goes out and executes at a high level, and, and you can you you feel it, and you and you know it, and and often they'll even you know articulate it to you it's like. Like we did this, you know, and it's like, no, no, you did it. I mean, I just helped you, but that's to me that that's like that's one of the things you know that that has me coaching at at, at this point in my life right now, and you know where I get the opportunity to coach, inspire, lead, motivate, teach, and then have them go out and and play at a higher level because. I've helped them play at a higher level. That's, that's where the gratification comes from, from a coaching standpoint. It's, it's not about making money. You know, anybody that wants to get into coaching, if you're doing it because you want to make money, uh, it's probably not the right profession for you. But if you're, if you're into, like, those some of those feel-good moments, uh, there's nothing like it.
1: Uh, You're with the Ravens through uh, one and uh, you move on to the Panthers and you're the defensive coordinator. You you said going from your first job on this side of the ball, you know, the non-player side was was the strength coach. You go to linebacker coach. You said that was a big jump. Now, all of a sudden, you're the defensive coordinator. Tell the people out there listening what that all entails. What's on? What are you responsible for?
2: Well, basically half the team, you know, you're, you're not the head coach. You're not over everybody, but you are over half of the squad and, and that's the defensive half. And so you have responsibility to, you know, to, to not only coach the the players, but to coach your coaches, you know, you, you, you've got to, you know, inspire and coordinate and organize and, and, and lead your, your coaching staff as well. And, and that's part of, you know what I'm still doing today. You know, for the commanders, uh, is, is working on that side of things. And um, you know, my first my first year, we took a team in Carolina that was dead last the year before we got there, and we went to number two in the league. And um, and and we learned how to do things. And and you know, the first thing that I said is this team's going to learn how to tackle, and we did. And um, and and we were going to play hard on every down, and we did that. And uh, again, very rewarding, you know, to help put together a great unit, and a great effort there for Coach Fox. And, uh, John Fox was the, was the head coach, and um, you know, he gave me my first opportunity to be a defensive coordinator.
1: And obviously, people notice because in, in 03, you get, you know, the the top job and uh, now you're the boss oh three was there was there a a, an interview process for you how complicated was it but uh this is something probably since you since you uh quit playing ultimately you know i would i would guess that's what you were aiming for hey i want to be a head coach one day that first year you you take over from oh three to to 2011 with the jaguars um what's that like all of a sudden your names on everything, you know, being a coach, being a defensive coordinator, uh, being a linebacker coach, When things blow up, yeah, you get a little blowback, but it's not your name on it. It's a little bit different where you're the top dog. You're not, you know, in in major league baseball, it's one thing to be the bench coach. And believe me, I played uh, on a lot of teams where the bench coach is, is instrumental to that team. But, but the X's and O's, when that record comes out at the end of the season, bench coach's name isn't on it. The skipper is. So, uh, just take me through that, that change and, and getting that first, getting that first big shot of being a head coach.
2: Well, it started with it started with um, the interview process. So the season ended, and I and I knew we'd had a, a good year, um, and there were a couple like really cool moments that that transpired during the year. One of them was opening day against my former team, the Ravens. Uh, we're in Carolina, and and we get a we 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 have a a game ending play where the defense comes up with a big, uh, a big sack or a a big stop on third down or wherever it was. It was a big moment. And I go out there and jump on the pile of players. I mean, I'm on top of it. All right. So it was like one of these, you know, one of these moments that was captured. Well, a few months later, the season's over. And, um, and there are two head jobs that are open. And, and so I prepared just in case I got the call. And so we go down to the senior bowl and uh, I bring a suit and I bring my, my notebook that I had assembled and in my preparation for an interview in case, and I have no idea whether they're going to enter, you know, call for an interview or not. And um, I remember going to coach Fox, when I got, when I got the call it was like, uh, or he got the call and it was like, Hey, by the way, um, this Jaguar team wants to talk to you, this owner. And, um, you know, you, you're, he's like, there's no way you're going to get the job, but it'd be good for your experience, you know, to go get the interview. And I was like, okay, well, I just happened to be ready. I had, you know, like I said, had, had my suit, got a haircut, shoes were shined. I was ready to go. So you know, going for the interview and just, it was one of these situations where I went in, I was very prepared and everything that I was asked, I felt great about being able to articulate how I felt about it. And that, and I came out of the interview thinking, I mean, I, 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 I nailed it. Like, like everything I wanted to say, I was able to say. And, um, I had zero regrets coming out of there. I'm like, but that's, I mean, they know who I am or how I, you know, what I, what I, how I feel about certain things. And if it works out, it works out. And sure enough, I end up getting that job. So it was like one of those long shot interviews and, uh, and, and and I end up hitting a home run with it and, uh, and got named head coach. And then, like you said, you know, for almost nine years, I was there in Jacksonville and, um, And we had some really good teams, and we we won twelve. We went twelve and four, now eleven and five. We never won the division. Uh, That's because Peyton Manning was going fourteen and two and thirteen and three, and uh, so we were wild card teams several times, but uh, uh, never got credit for a division title uh, because of because of Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. They were they were ripping off. a lot of huge division titles, but uh great opportunity, great experience and and really, you know, treasure the fact that I was head coach for almost nine years down there in Jacksonville.
1: That's that's very cool too. You go into it, you don't have big expectations, but you're like, if I'm going to get this interview, I'm going to nail it. You come out of there thinking I couldn't have done any better. Next thing you know, you got the job yep. and people are going, wait a minute, what just happened? You know, I had a similar with my brother. When he, he called me, he goes, I got the Yankee job. I said, how do you get that? How do you get that out of nowhere? You get the, the biggest franchise in baseball, but I mean, just right time, right place, kill the interview. Uh, pretty darn awesome. Uh, <clears throat> Want to go through all those guys, Johnny, you you mentioned John Fox with the Panthers, bum Phillips, your first head coach, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Dennis green, Dungey. You've mentioned several times. When you got that first head coaching job, did you take from those guys their, their, their styles? Did you take, you know, I always think if one day I ever managed in the big leagues, I would take a little bit of this. I'd take a little bit of of Bobby Cox, a little bit of Lou Piniella, a little bit of Bruce Bochy, you know, some things I like about this. Did you do any of that to form your style or was it just Jack Del Rio? This is what it is.
2: Well, there's no way you can go through those experiences and not have them shape you in some way. So I I definitely feel like the experience that I had, you know, playing for a bunch of, bunch of great head coaches over the years uh, or, or coaching with uh, definitely helped in my preparation. But at the end of the day, I think it's important. I think, I think players see through if you're not real, if you're not authentic. So I, I, so I've always I've always tried to be very authentic, you know, and real. Keep it, I try to keep it real with our guys. So, um but there's no doubt that that, that the opportunity to work with certain people and, and play under certain people it, it it helps shape who you are. And uh and so there's no doubt about that. You know, Den, uh, Denny Green was was probably a coach that I enjoyed playing for the way he prepared us. The, uh, Jimmy Johnson had the intensity. I loved all that. But Danny Green, the way he treated us, the, the, the structure that we used, it was more of the Bill Walsh tree of, 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 of arriving to the games fresh and, and, and ready to hit. Um, and so I, I really appreciated that as a player. And So I, 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 I leaned on that and utilized more of that in my structure than really anybody else. Uh, Brian Billick was instrumental in, in helping me prepare for that opportunity because he, he always talked to us as a staff and he would say, he'd say, look guys, you know, you, you can go sit in the bar and have, have some beer, you know, with your downtime or, or you could be in your room, you know, contemplating, you know, um, things that you would do as a head coach and organizing your thoughts. It was like, Hmm, I'm, I'm listening, you know? And so I would, I would you know I bought myself a computer and I would make sure that I was kind of keeping record of things I liked or didn't like and and so when it came time to prepare for that interview uh, I was ready to roll
1: 2010 SC offered you the the head coaching job did you even think about it
2: uh did not did not get offered the job did not. I I would have I would have definitely entertained uh, the idea um but but was not offered the job
1: after the uh 11th se- uh 2011 season you're moving on like 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 all of us and you know i've seen my dad go through it a few times a uh, few years back when he was managing and he'd get related and he'd call me and i go dad <laughs> it happens, man. The bottom line is the players don't put the numbers up and, and the win loss columns don't stack up. It doesn't matter who you are. One day it comes to an end. Joe Torrey, you know, won five world series with the A's. One day it comes to an end. If you're moving on. You go to the Broncos, a really good Broncos team. You go to the playoffs all three years. Um, uh, um, you're back being the defensive coordinator and, uh, Fun time in in uh, in Denver. Those are some good teams. I was looking at those teams. Those are some great teams. All three of the years you were there,
2: we we were really good. We were really gifted. We we made it to one Super Bowl. We knocked off the uh, Patriots, who, by the way, were my nemesis. Um, you know they knocked they knocked me out every time I, that we were knocked out by the uh with the jaguars it was the patriots knocking us out so tom brady and and, uh, and bill belichick they they've done that to a few people but um but yeah no it was uh it it was it was good times i mean and and you know i, I kind of lost my train of thought right there but
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still in denver you got more meetings this afternoon that's all okay, right that's all yeah. right i'll I'll move it on for you i had
2: something flash up on my phone all right so but but Denver, uh, you know, having Peyton Manning and having him on my side, it was like this is the guy that kept us out of first, you know, first place in our division all those years when, when I was in Jacksonville. So now I'm on his side. And, man, what a treat. Uh, you know, you're talking about playing with one of the best. And, and defensively, we had, some, we had some studs, and, and we, played great, we played great defense while we were there under John Fox again. And um, – Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, you know, that's what it's all about, playing. We were a championship-level program there, uh, went to the Super Bowl, lost it, uh, but played really good football for three years And and that was a great experience. I mean, my time in Denver, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, that's a – I don't know how much time you spent in Denver, but uh, that is a fun place to live, and, and, uh, you know, the Bronco fans come out in full force, so I, I really enjoyed it.
1: 2015, you get uh, another shot being the head coach. Uh, the guys that I've had on that have gone through that that Raider Nation. Uh, they say it is different. Uh, you're named the head coach of the, of the Raiders. Um, Different than than the first time around with the Jaguars? I mean, it, it, normally I'd ask the question, you know, if you had a few years here, hey, was it any different for you the second time around? You were head coach in the NFL for nine years. I'm sure any of the of the growing page you had in Jacksonville, you had worked out. So, so thinking to yourself, if I get another shot, you know, you, you've got that experience. You're kind of a, you've been there, done that nine times over. So other than getting that, was it any different being that Raiders head coach?
2: Well, you got to remember, I grew up in Hayward, which is uh, about ten miles from Oakland, and um, and I played. We played our high school championship game in the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. So uh, the Raiders are my team, uh, my childhood team. And in fact, when I went down to, to Southern Cal, that was the time they moved down there to LA. So I'm like, my team is following me, you know? So, um, so yeah, to be head coach of that, you know, storied franchise, uh, my childhood team, it was a tremendous honor. Uh, I I loved every minute of it. And we, and we kicked ass, you know, we, we were good. Uh, It just happened that the owner, I mean, I didn't, he didn't let me go because I didn't do a good job. He let me go because he was infatuated with John Gruden. And you know he he made it he made it clear the day he hired me. If he could have hired John, he would have hired John first. It was like okay, it's like it's like a like you're gonna say that to your girlfriend, you know? Hey, if I could have, <laughs> also, I, than you, I would have taken her instead. And I'm like, well, did you try? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. So are we are we gonna do this or not? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy with you. I just want you to know that I, I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Yeah, and by the way, if he comes available, you're gone. And that's what it ended up being. But I, I'll say this about Mark. Mark Davis was a man, man of his word because he told me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to help you be successful here. I'm, I'm going to, if you do the job that you say you are, because I told him, I said, well, I'm going to kick ass for you. And he said, if you do, I'm going to tear up your contract and give you a new one. And he did that. And so um, the only thing he did, he got impatient and went and hired, you know, John Gruden, which obviously is is history. But uh, I did a good job for him there. uh, Helped them have a really strong year when they needed to when they were negotiating for for the Vegas opportunity. And I think think things have worked out. It's it's a shame, really, uh, when you think about it, that the Raiders aren't still in Oakland. I uh, you know, again, where you know where I'm from, uh I thought they would I thought they would remain there, but um unfortunately the 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 politicians there in the East Bay couldn't keep it couldn't keep it together. So but a uh, great opportunity, great honor to, to, to
1: be there. Two thousand twenty to present. Uh you're the defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders and you know I was like does your son work with you?
2: Well, he's on this staff. He doesn't work with me. Quality he control. He's uh, he's quality control and uh, works with the quarterbacks with Scott Turner on the offensive side. Well, that's and, got
1: that's got to be pretty cool, though.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's it is cool that I'm able to see uh, uh, he his wife and his uh, and his and his new baby boy who happens to be uh, uh, the first to Del Rio to carry on the name. So he he's got that pressure off him, uh, having that, having that baby boy right out the gate. So pretty fired up about that.
1: Awesome. Uh, 2015. And then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, I know you're a big trojan. I know you, you love the school. Um, get that phone call. You're going to the USC hall of fame. Uh, I would consider you, you, you probably you probably like that phone call. Take me through that a little bit. Heritage Hall, you're there with all the, the great SC players of all time.
2: Yeah, that that's a that's a huge honor. Um so that's a it's a fantastic program. Um you know, the quality of people that have come through that place, um what what USC stands for the excellence, you know, that, that, that USC has had over the years. And, and, and to go in in both football and baseball, you know, uh, which I played multiple sports all my life, which we've talked about, but it was just a huge, huge honor and uh, so appreciative. It was, a, it was a great moment to go down there and, and, and get recognized like that. And, um, and then, you know, that's something that doesn't go away. You know, that, that'll, that'll be there forever.
1: Jack del Rio I really appreciate you taking the time I know you're you're busy and uh, to make it work today I, I really appreciate it great great player uh, unbelievable coaching resume uh, you're still going best of luck to you in Washington this year and as we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it to the voice of the podcast Dan levy Dan. That's going to do it for the
0: Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the Boone 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is base on air all of my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one